So I'm curious how many of you uh, were in choir or band when you were kids, right? Give me a show of hands. Look at that. Wow. Uh, man, that's that, more than half, I think, were um, in middle school. I was, I was in band, and uh, I played the trumpet. Uh, I was always second chair, uh, pretty much at everything I did in my life. Uh, um, third chair a lot of times and never first. But, uh, you know, I, do you remember when the director um, would get the funny look on their face? And they would say, just this section. And then they would say, okay, okay, just these people. And then they would say, just you. Could you play real quick for me? Do you remember that when they just, they heard the dissonance that was in the room? And, 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 and I remember that it happened with me a lot. Uh, you know, you, you're out of tune. And it doesn't matter if you are doing the fingers correctly because you're out of tune. Um, the greatest guitarists uh, in the world, if I were to put Paul Simon and Sting, people like that, if I say, and I give them an instrument that is out of tune, the greatest musicians in the world cannot play an instrument well that is out of tune. It does not matter how skilled you are if you have a guitar that is out of tune. However, if you have a really, really good guitar and it is tuned well and you only know G, C, and D, you can actually, you can do okay, you know? But if it's out of tune, there's nothing there. I think it's true in our lives that we can get all the doctrine. Uh, we, we can be correct, you know. We, 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 could, um, we could know the truth. We could know the, 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 what books were written at what date. We could memorize scripture. We, we could have a good handle on it. But our hearts be out of tune. And when your heart's out of tune, no amount of experience, no amount of expertise, nothing is going to sound right. And, and I, I, I feel that way a lot before God, that there's a song that says, tune my heart to sing your praise. You know, when your life is out of tune, no matter what people say, you hear it through a lens of negativity. When your heart is out of tune, your attitude towards God is off. When your heart is out of tune, so much, it just it fills your life with darkness. The purpose of the book of Psalms, this was the songbook of Israel. The purpose of the book of Psalms was to tune hearts. It's to give us meditation. There's prophecy in Psalms. There's doctrine in Psalms. This, but this is about tuning hearts. So when I read, and I'm not going to do this every week. I'm not going to read through all 12 verses every week. But I'm going to do it one more time this week when we're in Psalm 84. I want us to put our hearts before God and allow him to tune us. To set our thinking. To set our hearts right before him as we read through this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell 
in your house. They're ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord, God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Father, I I lay my own heart before you. I, I beg for your mercy and your grace in my life, in the life of your body. Um, Father, we come before you. So much anger in our hearts. So much hurt. So much fear. Doubt. There's so much, God, that um, we need your presence and we need your peace. Desperately. I pray, God, that we would somehow find a way to make a home near you, near your altar. And I pray, God, that you would let this psalm condition our hearts um, for what is ahead. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Um, The reason this is so important to me um, is because there are a lot of relevant, I I use that word, there are a lot of important, very fundamental topics that we're going to be talking about this year. Um, and a lot of times when, you're, we, when you come together as a body, whether it's a class or in a church, you want to be relevant and you want to talk about things that um, you know, need to be talked about. You know, they're calling sin, sin, addressing repentance, addressing confession, addressing a lot of things that are so important to the Christian experience. But I really do believe that if your walk with God is set, it's solid, it's doing well the fruit falls into place. But if the walk with God isn't there, it does not matter what we know about those fundamental truths. You're out of tune. And so I really believe that what we're talking about in Psalm 84, even though there's going to be a lot of things where you're like, wow, Jeff, are we going to talk about walking with God and living with God and these these every week? Absolutely. Because... I really do believe that this is the one thing, this is tuning the instrument. This is the one thing that if we get this right, most everything else falls into place. When your heart is right with God and you are living life as before His throne, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, it is very difficult to say discouraging things to a brother in Christ or to anyone. It's very difficult to let your mouth dishonor God when you are before His throne. And so that's why so much of this is about just living life uh, in His presence. 
I want you to think for a minute about the names he ascribes to God in this psalm. The living God. Lord God Almighty. My King. My God. God of Jacob. Each term, each phrase that he uses to address God is very deliberate. I love the phrase, the living God. Um, you know, just like in Steve's class, we've talked about this, Satan, or the Satan, has no real name. A formal name is not given to him in Scripture. Just adjectives. Did you know that that's true of God as well? Every name that is given to God is really an adjective. Even the great name that we think of, Yahweh, you know, or, or as some people call it Jehovah, you know, all God was saying is, you go tell Pharaoh, with all of his fake gods that he worships, go, go tell him the God that exists sends you. I am. Go tell him that I am. I am the God who exists. And, and that's what a name was back then. It was something to try to describe. This is my presence. The names that we give God for who he is in our life are so beautiful in our prayers. They mean a lot in our prayers. This is who you are to me. This is the God you've become. And throughout the Psalms, it's amazing just to look at the names he ascribes to God through the Psalms. Let's go ahead and now. I want to pick up in verse 3. We left off. Um, in verses 1 or 2, talking about my heart, my flesh, cry out for the living God. But he says this, um, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. There's so much just in, in these verses. But you can see this guy, and, and, and he's gone on pilgrimage. You know, the, the Jews would go on pilgrimage three times a year. Before the altar of God, they would come to the temple. And I don't know if you have a place in your life that you've kind of set aside as, as being like, um, this, is, this is sanctified. This is a place where I come before God. And I, I don't know if you've ever had a place like this where all of a sudden it became, when I was in high school, it was this massive oak tree. And I would go over to it and I would sit and I would think and I would pray. And I did it so frequently over my lunch hour that when I approached the tree, when I came to the park, it was as though I were coming into uh, the presence of God. And, and, and I know it growing up in the churches, if you grew up in churches of Christ or in the circles in that genre, we really taught and emphasized this is not the church. The building is not the church. It's not a place you can attend. You remember the old acapella, or maybe it was AVB, can't go to church because the church is you kind of thing. And we grew up thinking that way, but still, I remember when my Uncle Tim, who's a preacher, for the first time brought us into an auditorium. It was a Church of Christ auditorium, and we're not all that. But still, brought me into a Church of Christ auditorium, and I was in there by myself. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm in the presence of God right now. And I remember going up and looking inside the baptistry and because I felt like that was the Holy of Holies. And I, you go in there and, and you feel like, man, I'm in the presence of God. Maybe you've even felt that, even though you thought, man, man the church building's not his cathedral. Maybe you even thought that when you were in Europe or some other country or Mexico. And the first time you went into a massive cathedral and you still felt like, Man, my theology says he's not here, but man, it feels like he is. This is crazy. This is amazing. I feel like I'm in God's presence kind of a thing. Um, I do think that there's a danger 
in, in when we talk about God being everywhere and he's with us all the time, I think there's a danger that instead of us thinking, wow, I'm on holy ground before an awesome God all the time, instead, there's no place where we feel that way. Instead of, of making everything like I'm before his holy presence, instead we cheapened it. And, and it's like, well, God's with me always. So, and there's not the sense of reverence and awe anymore. At least this is my experience. That, that I've lost sense of that. And it was better at least when I could assign a place where I could think that way. Wow, I am coming into God's presence. Imagine this man coming before the altar of God that represented his presence. Coming to this place and saying, my God, I needed this. To feel I'm in your presence. To get my life straight. To get my thoughts straight. And then he has to leave. And he looks up and he sees swallows and birds. Now, and the bridges around town, um, a couple of us went, went uh, tubing this last year uh, down the river. And you go under this bridge at I-25 if you're on the Poudre River, and there's nothing but swallow nests all over the bridge. It's not this one because it's more than this, but they're just everywhere. And you can see the, the, the man writing the psalm looking up and going, man, they live here. They're just birds and they get to live in your presence and I have to go from your presence. In fact, you know, that this is still, this is something that people have to do is put spikes on buildings to keep birds from nesting there or landing there. Did you know that in your Bible, if you have a picture of the temple, you'll notice the golden spikes that are on top of it? Did you know that that was actually a thing? Um, Josephus records, uh, from the temple summit protruded sharp golden spikes to prevent birds from settling upon them and polluting the roof. Because back when this psalm was written, the, the problem is swallows were building nests all over this holy sacred building. And the psalmist is frustrated with it. And he's coming and saying, man, they get to live here and I've got to go away from you. I, I wish I was like one of these birds, you know. Um, it goes on, it says, um, a place near your altar. Oh, my Lord Almighty and my King. I thought about this verse when he says, a place near your altar. Do you know the fire on the altar? Perpetually burnt. They never allowed the fire to go out on the altar. It says in Leviticus that it had to continually burn. In fact, in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, it records that even when they had to break down camp and they had to move, they actually kept the fire lit even when they were traveling. The fire had to be lit. It was kept in a special vessel with a copper lid so that it was continually burning before God. The fire could never go out. And so when you're next to this altar, it's this place where sacrifices are continually being lifted before God. I want you to hold this in mind before I go further. The presence of God is the theme of Scripture. It's everything. Genesis 1 opens with this garden scene. Genesis 2, where, where Adam and Eve are in the presence of God, in His presence, and it's this intimate walk with God. That's how Scripture opens. Then the climax of the Old Testament is Moses standing before God and saying, if you don't go with me, I won't leave this place. I'm begging you for your presence. And God's saying, this is Exodus 33, God says, I can't go with you. You're stiff-necked people, man. I'll destroy you. And he says, man, if you don't go with us, our life has no meaning, has no purpose. He begs him. Leviticus might seem like a boring book to you, but it's the most sacred book because Leviticus is God saying yes. 
Leviticus is God saying, my presence will go with you. And this is what it's going to look like. This is the climax of the Old Testament, God's presence. Then when the Christ comes, he's given the name, what? Emmanuel. Or he's called Emmanuel. God with us. The climax of the Bible would be Revelation 21 probably, where, where finally you just hear this great voice in heaven says, my, my presence with them, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will be with you. And this is everything in Scripture, living in God's presence. Um, so he says this, that a place near your altar. Remember when um, uh, one of the most beautiful nights of my life uh, was in a place called um, Enchanted Rock uh, in Texas. And uh, we had we had uh, teens and adults spread out everywhere, camping in tents. And and part of the theme of the retreat um, that we were on was just prayer and having a prayer vigil. And all night long by the fire, um, people were up praying all night. And they would go in shifts. And so there were constant prayers before the fire. My job was to keep the fire stoked. And so I laid close enough to the fire, and I, I couldn't overhear everything that was said or anything like that. But I was sleeping through the night, and I would wake up periodically. And whenever I woke up, all I could hear was prayer. And all night long, laying by a fire and listening to teens pray. And I was freezing to death. And it was still one of the most sacred nights that I can ever remember felt like, wow, I'm in God's presence, listening to the most pure and beautiful. I'm listening to people cry together. I'm listening to people laugh together. I'm listening to people come before the presence of God together and continually offering this up. And it was one of the most sacred things for me to be there. And I thought about that when I was reading through the psalm and saying, man, this is what the psalmist is feeling. Man, I just want to be, I want to make my home there. I want to live with you. Um, I never want to live, leave your presence. I want to share with you some verses that might be on your mind already. When it comes to God's presence, His temple, all of this, I'm just going to read three verses to you. This is Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you'll build for me? Where, where will my resting place be? 1 Kings 8. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, can't contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Solomon said that. Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in a temple built by hands. Um, He never did. Not the Old Testament or the New Testament. The temple was a place that represented God's presence with his people. Now, God's bigger than that, Uh, and he is today. Um, Jesus says in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. We will come to him and we'll make our home with him. In the book of Corinthians and actually throughout Paul's writings, he speaks of our body as the temple of God and actually in his language, particularly in 2 Corinthians, but I saw it in Philippians and I've seen it throughout his writing. Paul always talks as though he is in the presence of God. He charges Timothy before God and he constantly says, I'm before God, I'm before his presence and I'm speaking to you as though he's here right now and I'm in his presence and he felt that and he thought that. 
I, I really think that's something that we need to hone in on this morning. And I've, I, I have talked about this in the past, but this might be the most important topic to me. That when I preach, preach, I tell my, preach as though you're before God's throne. When you speak to someone that you're in a fight with or doesn't like you or you're one of these, speak to them with the reverence that you would. Speak to the way I would speak about Noah before Stephen Christie. Okay? The way I speak about somebody's child when they are present, even if I'm not getting along with that person, speak to them as though they are God's child. And allow God to tune your heart when you're living your life and your marriage and when you're parenting and when you're in fights with people and when you're in harmony with people, living life as though you were right in God's presence because you are. This is the promise of Scripture. I will come to you. We will make our home with you. And this is the kind of reverence that I'm going to ask of, you, of your life. He says that they, the, these people, and, and, the, and I'm, I guess I was quoting Leviticus, it says this uh, about the altar in Leviticus 6.13. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. The fire must be kept going continuously. Now, in that context, I want to share with you one final verse. This is a verse you're familiar with, but I want you to think about it in the context of the continual praise of the temple. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Be joyful. Always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Then he says this. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. The fire must be kept burning continually before His throne. You are not a person that comes and lives your life and then comes to church and says, I'm coming before God's presence. No, He says this, my presence goes with you. Keep the Spirit's fire burning in you. Constantly. And, and Paul speaks this way, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of forgiveness, the sacrifice of forget me, the sacrifice of the, I'm putting it all before you and the fire has to be kept burning. Why? Because sacrifices in the Old Testament were continually, continually being offered up before God. And there's not a break, not in the Christian life. Now, if what I'm saying sounds over the top, Don't question me, please. Question whether or not what I'm saying is from Scripture. Because it does sound to me like Thessalonians and these these complimentary verses are saying this, your body is a temple designed to worship God. It's not something that you do on weekends and it's not something that you do during... It is a continual prayer. When he says pray without ceasing, I am absolutely convinced that that is not an exaggeration. I really do believe he means that. That my prayer before God does not... You, I don't know where the idea of saying amen at the end of the prayer as though you're dismissing him came from. But God did not leave when you said amen. 
He's still there. I don't go on a road trip with my wife and have a conversation with her and say, Amen. The conversation's over. She's still there. Okay? We're still on the road trip. It's going. And my God does not leave me. I know you've heard the verse quoted, or the verses quoted that say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I think that's one of the most dangerous verses that's quoted out there. One, because when I grew up listening to that verse, I thought, man, I'm glad everybody's so encouraged by that. But that does imply that when two or three are not gathered, you are not in my midst. Those verses are talking about church discipline. They're simply saying this, where two or three are gathered, witnesses, then they have my authority that goes with them. Those verses are not saying, hey, if you've got a quorum, I'll show up. They have been treated that way for a long time. That is not what those verses are saying. God is present. He simply is present. He goes with his people. He does not leave his people. And what that means for me is this. It's not what it will be. God has a promise for my life that I have no idea about, that I cannot wait until that's fulfilled. But in the meantime, right now, A place near your altar. The song has been on my heart all week. Draw me nearer, 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 my God, to the cross where you've died. Draw me near to that. Let me experience life by your altar. Let me live and speak and think as though I'm in your presence at the foot of the cross in every conversation and everything that I'm doing. Don't let me leave that. Um. This idea of, well, I was way off on my slides today, but you're used to that. Um, This idea of a perpetual fire that keeps burning, that will not die, that will not go out. I wish I had a better answer this morning for the how. When he says, don't quench the Spirit's fire, don't let this fire go out. I wish I had a better answer for how, because I'm like you, I know what that is. I know what that is to have times in my life where, man, especially when I was a teenager, when I was young, in my early 20s, man, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I would dedicate the day to God in hours of prayer. I would come before Him and I I had that zeal. It was crazy. And so many times in my life that I've lost that fire. And I'm living well before Him. I'm not lying. I'm not stealing. I'm not doing these things that I could be doing. But the, the tuning of my heart and the living life as though I'm in His presence and making the most of every opportunity and this kind of thinking, that begins to wane. So I want to lift up um, these thoughts in prayer and I want to lift you up in prayer. Uh, because I very intentionally wanted to begin this year with Psalm 84. Because Psalm 84 has transformed so much of how I think. Um, I love this psalm. And I want to just begin by praying this prayer over our year. That again you'd be reminded about living life in His presence. I want you to allow God... Uh, At the end of Psalm 139, it says, Test me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. You're the instructor. 
You're the band director. Listen. And if I am out of harmony, if I'm out of tune, isolate me. Speak to me. And set my heart to your tune so that I'm living in harmony with God's people. Um, In my arrogance, I could easily have been the one, and I probably was the one, to say, I know I'm out. I know I'm out of sync with the rest of these guys. They're all out of tune. I'm the one that's on. I've, maybe you've been in a room full of people that are singing and you've got that one proud person that's like, they're all a little bit off and so I'm going to sing the right notes. I'm like, it'd be better if you were off with everybody else, brother. Please just hang with us. But if everybody around you and you have a lot of discord in your life and you're surrounding yourself and you're starting to find it, it is time to take a look at you. It is absolutely time to take a look at you. And I think that that's the one thing we can change is us making sure we are in tune so that everything else flows. Uh, Father, I want to just, um, I want to, I want to, I want to just acknowledge your presence. Father, that I praise you that though you've taught us so much through the temple uh, and the sacrifices, um, your, your promise for us is that you would never leave us, you won't forsake us, that you've made us temples of your spirit, that your presence is always with us. And I ask God that we won't cheapen that by saying it's not in a building, but God, that we would, we would make that something so much more sacred by recognizing we are perpetually offering sacrifices of praise to you. That the fire, I, I ask God, that's in us, by your spirit would always stay lit and that you would give us the wisdom to see every single conversation and interaction and everything we're doing. God, as though we were in your temple courts before a holy God, um, I beg for unity in your body. I beg for humility in your body. And I beg for authenticity in your body that your spirit would be alive in us. It's in the name of Christ we come before you. Amen. I want to do one more thing with you um, as a family. I want to ask Chuck uh, Grenier um, uh, if he's here. And um, actually the rest of our shepherds, I want to invite you to come up with me. Um, and the Moriarty fa- family, if you don't mind joining us up here, um, I want to have a prayer. And I know many of you have been praying uh, for the Moriarty family. Um, and uh, I, I was asked to, are, are the Moriarty's here? I'm in a lot of trouble. Okay, thank you. We also found the identity of Batman. Does he have his mask on? <laughs> um, but we've been praying about Mac and, uh, and um, just the health. And, and, and I was asked to remind you that if you are sick this morning, they, they covet your prayers. But please keep your distance from him. Be, be respectful of, of some of that. But um, this family has come to join us and has been already an amazing part of us um, because we've been entering into prayer with them, uh, covering them in prayer. And I wanted you to be able to associate some faces and some people that have just been amazing to the body here. Um, and so I want to ask Chuck if you wouldn't mind saying a prayer with us um, over the Moriarty's. Father, we are grateful to you. Thankful to you, Father, for... Blessing the, the family, Nick, Amber, with the strength that they need in order to 
to lead your family and to be close to them during this difficult time. Thank you, Father, for for Max, the example that he was and is and continues to be to the doctors and nurses and caregivers of how you, God and Father, can bring him through such significant challenges that he's dealing with. Father, we're grateful to you, Lord. We're grateful to you, Father, for the doctors and nurses that have done such wonderful things. But we're grateful to you, Father, first and foremost, for blessing those doctors, those nurses, those caregivers with the the ability that they have. We pray, Father, that, that you'll bless the Moriarty family not only with the physical strength that they need, but physical, emotional, spiritual. Help them through this to grow closer to you and through this experience to recognize and to look back and say that you were here consistently with them. That's right. Part of their family, part of their life. Thank you, Father, for the influence they've had on others through the challenging times that they're dealing with. Continue to bless them. And it's through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.